0: Well, here we go again, episode two already of the VET podcast, and this one is titled Ham and Bacon. Mark, do you know why it's called Ham and Bacon? I have no idea. Well, you'll find out in a minute why it's called Ham and Bacon. Um, It is, what is the date? It's Friday the 3rd of November. We forgot to put the date on the start of our um, first podcast. Um, And I'm Brendan, and with me is Mark, and we've got some interesting things to talk about um the main topic i think is a great one um that, that um, vets who both deal lots with exotic pets and vets who don't deal much with exotic pets will um really enjoy because i think we've got some really good discuss, discussion that's going to happen and some really interesting um thoughts on um this particular sort of syndrome or disease um, process in, in a particular species that I don't want to talk, say who it is yet, what species it is. Um, so before we get to that I think it's time for sort of what's been happening in our lives this week and I, I don't know about you Mark but I've had a pretty crazy day today and it was a bit of a weird week for me. It started off really slow. We had a, um, a vet student um, with us for the week, which is great, um and she was fantastic, really good vet student, so congrats to Sally. Um but it was a bit quiet during the start of the week and then it just got crazier and crazier and today it was absolutely one of those chaotic days and I suppose that's the isn't that's the advantage of being a vet and the disadvantage of being a vet, isn't it? And so some days I just get to work and I sit there and I think please, just give me three dog vaccinations in a row. That's all I want. Um, And I can turn my brain off and and sip my cup of coffee in between and I can chat to my nice clients um, about their dog and and vaccinate their dog. But today was a crazy day. What about you, mate? Well,
1: I think think I've had exactly the same sort of week and even the level of symmetry is uncanny because we have a veterinary student as well, the wonderful Victoria who um, comes from has been studying at st kitts and uh is working through sydney university now and um and yeah it's it. It's similarly we've had just the craziest day and and i find it um one of the things that i you know want i hope i hope that in the long term um the constant use of our brain power to solve uh, problems on a regular basis will hopefully stave off uh, a little bit of senile dementia till we're a little bit older. But um, but it is it sometimes does wear you out that each new problem you have to uh, start from the basics, apply your first principles, um, and then overlay the the unique characteristics of uh, the unique peculiarities of that species. So so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm here hearing what you are saying.
0: Yeah, it uh, I would. I, I would not have it like that, but gee, it's tiring some days with it. Um but we did have a few laughs today at my clinic. Um we have a, a whiteboard where sometimes the nurses or the vets put up some some funny little um quotes or or comments about patients, etc. and and I think one other thing that we should have on our podcast and maybe some of our listeners can can contribute as well is is names of animals you know, and gee, they make you laugh sometime and the the classic one we had last week was a snake, and its name was trouser um so trouser snake um we'll leave it the rest up to you um with the imagination but the the two animals that I saw today well actually you know, I only saw one of them um have a very good client um with a an a geriatric guinea pig that we thought wouldn't last. I first met these clients as a referral client um, just over 12 months ago. So, um, and one of the first comments they made to me in the consultation was, "Please, Brendan, can you can can you please keep our our guinea pig alive until Christmas?" Um, and that's all they wanted. And that was last Christmas. And he's and, and thank goodness he's still going strong um, at the moment. And they brought in his cage mate today, and his cage mate's name is Bacon. Um, which is a funny name but it's a guinea pig so i suppose bacon and pig Um, and the geriatric one that we've kept alive for 12 months is called ham so ham and bacon the two um, guinea pigs that they have so i just love some of the names that people give to their pets and especially the exotic or unusual ones and i'm sure you've got got some of them um, in the back of your mind as well mark but i'm not going to Push you to try and no, no, name them. I know.
1: I've got one jumps to mind straight away. We um, we're very lucky to see a surprising number of backyard chickens, and uh, for some reason, they seem to be um, one of the the uh, the species with which people you know they bond very closely to, and um, and they observe them closely. and uh, And I find that when they have that combination, they regularly come up with very insightful names, um, and. And today we uh, um, we were following up on um, Gwyneth Gwyneth poultry, um, so <laughs> so excellent. It, it is amazing what people come up with.
0: Yeah, and and for those um, listeners of us who who uh, who aren't in Australia, um, they might may not know the colloquial term for chickens in Australia, chooks. We love our chooks in Australia, and I'm in Melbourne, as as a lot of you already know. Mark is up um, just past Sydney and Newcastle. Um, backyard chickens are, yeah, really popular in in, in, in Melbourne, and um, I think it's good having free-range chickens um, and um, letting them do their thing, and 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 being rewarded by some proper free-range eggs um, rather than those 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 cage-laid um, eggs. Although. Um, we do see a few of these chickens that get eaten by foxes, and no matter how well they try and fox proof their their chicken coots, we do see a, a few of them that are ripped apart which is which isn't much fun looking at here
1: It's interesting though they are surprisingly tough patients we um we do see the same
0: you know uh
1: um characteristic that uh um if they're not well housed at night, they will be exposed to those. Evening predators, and uh, but it it never ceases to to amaze me how, with relatively serious injury though, they um with the appropriate care they bounce back. The the damn things are very very tough.
0: And I think chickens. Or chooks are always a, a, a hot topic as far as vets who who just see the odd unusual pet um, and a small animal practitioners, because a lot of people keep chickens in an urban area. So obviously we'll have to have that as one of our topics in the future, as well as our main topics, um, chickens, um, no, as we pets can, and pets, and the
1: common. We can revisit yeah. Gwyneth. We can revisit Gwyneth's history at that time.
0: That sounds like a great idea. Um, Yeah, so it sounds like we both had a very interesting week. I'm glad it's the weekend, although I am working tomorrow morning, but that's what we have to put up with, don't we? Um, So I think we should jump into our main topic for episode two. Um, So now you know why it's called Ham and Bacon, Mark. I hadn't told Mark why it was called Ham and Bacon, the title of this, this podcast. There you go. My two guinea pig patients. So... Relating to guinea pigs, I think our topic was going to be urinary tract um, issues in guinea pigs. Um, So I'm going to cross over to you, Mark, and and, and let you sort of talk about um, what are the common problems we see in guinea pigs with urinary tract issues. What do we see? Do we see these problems commonly or are they rare? Um, And then we'll talk about working them up and what you need to do um, and... The interesting bit will be about prevention of some of these problems, whether we can do that and what options we have.
1: Well, and and uh, it is, as you hint, um, it is a surprisingly common thing for us to have to deal with. Um, uh, we would probably be thinking that something like um, three or four percent of our consults associated with guinea pigs uh, involves straining to, to urinate, straining to go to the toilet, um, and of course our um, our mind immediately jumps to the possibility of an obstruction. But um, I think it's a really, you know, um, basic premise and it's something that I've got no doubt will continually return to in these uh, podcasts that um, the, the best thing to do with these cases is to um, start with... Uh, with your general principles that um, that if an animal is uh, if a guinea pig is straining to urinate then um, treating them like any other animal, obtaining a sample, doing a good thorough physical examination particularly looking for, um, for uh, signs of uh, concurrent disease. One of the things that we regularly uh, take note of is whether an animal, uh, whether a guinea pig has uh, um, issues with bumblefoot or Uh, um, are they having difficulty adopting the correct position to urinate, Um, these things can play a role in whether they're straining to go to the toilet. Um, So, yeah, I think um, it's a very common thing for anyone who's seeing a number of guinea pigs, um, and I think starting at the very beginning, obtaining a sample and doing a good thorough physical exam will set you up for the the, uh, following stages.
0: Uh, That's... That's exactly what I would say as well um, for some reason and I think we all do it and I do it with species I'm not familiar with too you think oh no it's a guinea pig coming in um, it's draining um, and uh, to, to pretend to urinate um, what do I do and they jump into the textbooks, but just go back to your basic principles. Is it straining into urinate? Is it urine that's passing, or not urine? Um, you know, there's only sort of three things that can be coming out the back end, um, hopefully. Um, faeces, um, urine or maybe we have reproductive tract um, 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 fluid discharge. coming out. Discharge. Um, discharge, yes, discharge. It has been a long day today <laughs> for me. Uh, so um, just getting back to basics and, and, and how do we tell which one of those it is? Well, get a sample of it, you know, if it's discharging, um, as, as you bring it in, have a look at that backside of that animal. So don't, just don't be, don't don't freeze, um, go back to your basic principles. And, and like all, and I was talking about this general topic with the vet student today, actually, Sally, or maybe yesterday, um, getting back to the basics of, of diagnosis and, and not jumping ahead and, and pattern recognition and and thinking oh it must be this particular disease getting back to the basics and thinking what system is involved with this particular animal with with the illness it has and then narrowing it down from there is it urinary tract if it is urinary tract then getting back to the next bits um what type of disease process could be going on there. Is it infection? Uh-huh. Is it neoplasia? Et cetera, et cetera. So getting back to your basics with it. Um, and yes, we certainly see a lot of them as well, um, urinary tract issues in, in the guinea pigs we see. I expect it would be m- much greater than the, few percent you said, I reckon it'd be probably 10 or 20 percent of the guinea pigs I see, um, maybe that 20 percent is overstating it, that have the um, urinary tract issues um, and the classic was I had one today or, or yesterday and today with it and um, a lot of them are involved in Um, urolithiasis so we have some form of bladder stone or or urinary tract um, 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 crystals in there or development of of crystals in in somewhere throughout the um, urinary system Um, and it hurts because they're scraping um, and guinea pigs don't like it Um, I suppose no animal likes it I haven't had um, have you had um, kidney stones I'm getting a bit personal here Or are you an in infection, Mark?
1: Well, I think the other thing, uh, I think exactly what you say is true, but I, the, one of the things I think my impression of um, guinea pigs is that in other species, the stones cause most problems when they come to the narrow parts. And so, um, you know, as they uh, pass down maybe the sigmoid flesh, flexure or as they get to um, the, uh, the end of the urethra. But I think when they are sitting in the bladder in guinea pigs, they, they bounce around. I think they're abrasive. I think that um, the inner lining of the bladder uh, becomes in, irritated and ulcerated. And I think even in the circumstance where they might be um, thought to be innocuous, they're in the bladder, not causing any major problem. Um, even those guinea pigs are in pain, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and we also, um, we also have this condition that we often describe as sludgy urine Um, with with guinea pigs um, we describe a similar thing in rabbits as well and and that term describes it really well and we we get this gritty sludgy milky type um, urine that's excreted and some of these guinea pigs might have sludgy urine for, for for days or weeks or even longer than that and the owners have been well the guinea pigs have been putting up with it because they haven't had any other option but the owners have been sort of thinking oh he's got a bit of funny discharge there I better take him to the vet um, and they've had this sludgy urine for a, a, a long period of time and um, the the thing that's different with guinea pigs is, um, what types of crystals we have in there and their metabolism with things, um, uh, with, with what happens with urine and, and production of urine and excretion of products through the urinary tract in guinea pigs. So these, if, if my memory serves me correctly, Mark, um, the majority of the vast majority of these, um, 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 urolithal stones that we get in, in kidneys are calcium um, based um, stones in them so that's something that's different um, compared with some of the other species but I think I'm jumping ahead of myself as I well as what, what, what's happening with these I'm getting back to the basics with them if you're presented with a guinea pig that has straining and you narrow it down to the urinary tract then hey it's easy we get back to basics and we do the same sort of thing that we'd be doing with, with um, our dogs and our cats or our other domestic species that would be seen regularly and that's getting a sample that urine ideally sending it off for a full urinalysis most people end up doing basics in-house as well um, you can spin it down and have a look to see if we've got any crystals we can do our dips dips we do our urine specific gravity although you know um interpreting the USG in a guinea pig that's got lots of sludgy urine can be quite a challenge um, I think Um, and we should be sending some off to the lab for a culture and sensitivity ideally and also doing a radiograph of that animal Um, that's when it gets a bit more challenging if you're not dealing with the guinea pigs very often because obviously then you start to panic and think how the hell do we knock out this guinea pig or sedate it to take a radiograph so how do you do that (laughs) no. <laughs> um
1: the, the, the usual way that we do it is once again I I'm starting to sound like a broken record but we use the same general principles we apply to other species we um, will often uh, give them a pre-med and uh, we'll use one of the mu agonist opiates at um, at a relatively high dose um, and uh, most of the time then we're masking them down um, with isoflurane and uh, and 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 getting them just deep enough so that we can position them on the plate to get the radiograph. But there are other injectable formulations that uh, we've used on occasions.
0: And, uh, well, I basically do the same as you. We, we, I either give them a bit of a pre-med, and I tend to use... Uh, Give them a bit of methadone as my standard pre-med for a guinea pig at around about one milligram per kilo and then i gas them down sometimes i don't premed them at all depending on the the particular animal in front of me um so it's pretty similar to what you do um, um, if i'm giving an injectable um, protocol with them i can't remember the last guinea pig i gave injectables and if i did it would probably may have been midazolam, um to take the edge off it what 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 do you use man? well we've um
1: we've had a few times where we've used uh um and uh one of the opioids usually butorphanol um and we'd use midatomidine met- in a relatively low dose maybe 10 micrograms per kilogram and uh and point one or 0.2 mg per kg for the butorphanol, um, and they're probably not as relaxed as we would get with the isoflurane, but we still can often
0: get excellent images. Yeah, and that's an option for people who who um, who um, well, I going to say who don't have isoflurane, but they should all have isofluorine. But there's, uh, I think the key is that there's lots of different potential protocols but don't guess them and, and and you know phone a friend or 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 look through your textbooks before you decide on this particular dose rate will or won't work for a, a particular species and and you know I get phone calls at my clinic and emails all the time from vets saying hey what dose rate um should I use in this, this particular species and I I'm more than happy to answer them um um, all day every day um, the only ones I don't like to answer he's getting on my high horse is we we occasionally get a, a call oh, the nurse um, answers the phone and, and comes in and I'm into surgery I might be in surgery and, and and the nurse would say to me hey Brendan I've got Dr Smith on the phone um, and he's about to spay a rabbit um, and he's never spayed a rabbit before and he's admitted the rabbit and he's got it in the in the surgery um, and he's trying to gas it down and he's on the phone now and he wants to know how to how to anesthetize this rabbit and um, um, don't do that um, <laughs> um, even worse I've had the odd person then say oh and they also want to know what's what's the actual surgical procedure can you um, give it to them now over the phone and they're waiting and they don't want to, um, you to phone them back um, so tell me everything about sex in a rabbit over the phone in, in, in five minutes while they've got the animal um, ready to go on the surgery table. So um, that's when I might get a bit cranky, especially if it's the end of the week <laughs> as well, and somebody does that. But but yeah, so, so we need to sedate. Um, you may be able to um, take a radiograph of this guinea pig with it just um, stand in there, um, um, on on the on the plate there, just to get an idea on what's happening. I think one of the key points with taking radiographs of guinea pigs that have urinary tract issues are making sure you don't cone the cone the um, 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 the, the view down too much on the radiograph um, on the X-ray plate, so that you miss out on the the caudal aspect of the guinea pig because a lot of these guinea pigs will end up having a a urethral stone that you'll miss if you just um, cone in down on the abdomen there and um, especially in the boys when when you're not including the whole whole um, penis there Um, and even the females i commonly see females that have distal um, urethral stones so they've almost made themselves out to the very tip there and you can literally Palpate this little ball um, at, at at the exit of that little guinea pig. There, you know, it's almost made it, but it quite it, it quite hasn't. it does seem um, to be, and they're there, pretty. There does
1: seem to be that little narrowing right at the end of the urethra in female guinea pigs, and they they very often get to just the very end of the urethra and and lodge in there, and and uh, as you say, a, a tiny incision in the correct spot. Once you've palpated it. Um, can often produce uh, excellent results. The other thing about taking radiographs, ensuring that you don't cone down too much, is making sure that you obtain multiple views, at least two views. Um, It's particularly when you're looking uh, for um, uroliths, overlying bones in one view can really complicate the picture and so making sure you've got at least two views to confirm the location of something um, is really important
0: yes definitely um the good news is we see these um, a lot of them have really dramatic um yeah you're in there um and even we even see um, Sometimes we end up with ones with, with, with kidney stones as well, and so anywhere throughout the urinary tract with them. But the most common ones I see are those um, urethral ones or the, or the obvious bladder ones as well. Um, plus or minus that sludgy urine, um, sludgy bladder look. So you see this, um, you know, white, indistinct, maybe sandy type look um, on the radiograph of these, these guinea pigs. Um, and yes, those ones where we have those distal... Um, stones just sit in there the outflow in the females um yeah they're quite rewarding to remove some of them um it's not as rewarding watching them come back again and we'll talk about that in a minute um and i do a similar process as what you do there i tend to just um um, often some of a reasonable number of them i can manage to just manipulate out once i've anesthetized that guinea pig so I'll, i'll 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 gas her down plus or minus that premed um, I'll, I'll take my radiographs um, and assuming there's only one one stone there just near the outflow there I'll, I will then infiltrate um, the area with a bit of local anesthetic I just use a little bit of lignocaine, um, um and potentially back flush a little bit with some sterile saline and then just um, gently manipulate just just have some you know um, gloves on and, and and gently manipulate that stone out and it's amazing how many of them you can just manage to manipulate 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 out once they're relaxed and we've got a bit of general anaesthetic anaesthesia on board and as well as a bit of local anaesthesia there. Um, Otherwise yes I do that equivalent of that episiotomy type um, incision there to just uh, release enough um, release it enough to to enable to push that little stone out I don't suture that um, and I just let it naturally sort of close over um, I, and I think that's what most people do I presume that's what you do Mark is that correct?
1: Yeah precisely the same that little um, midline incision um, and, uh, and we don't wrestle with the uh, the uh, incision to try and close it we just leave it. I don't know whether uh, I can't tell you that I've gone back and had a look but I've got a sneaking suspicion that it doesn't necessarily heal up at all and that we're left with a a slightly wider opening um, to the urethra. So Brendan when you're doing this um, do one of the questions I was interested to ask was um, as you're manipulating those stones at the end of the urethra in the female guinea pigs what what specific technique do you use? I try um, to, uh, you know, roll the thing around more than anything else. Um, I try and avoid using, like, a toothpaste tube technique to pop it out. Um, do you have any tips to, to make that um, less traumatic?
0: Um, no. <laughs> no um um I, I must admit I don't particularly roll it um on roll it around um I tend to do toothpaste technique that's a good one. I was going to my I was as you were mentioning that I was trying to think of of um of descriptions and I was going to say like um um popping out a pee from a pod, you know. Um, so I, ju- I just do, I-, I do sort of just squeeze it gently um, or probably firmly. Um, uh, uh, my question to you then would be what, you know, why um, are you trying to avoid any extra trauma? Um, yeah. um, and Because my thought would be, gee, it's going to be pretty traumatised anyway because it's been trauma- yeah, it, it, it's 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 trying to pee around that anyway and that whole area is pretty damn inflamed and irritated anyway. Um, so I just want to get that um, little pee out of its pod. Um, so um, my technique's not particularly gentle with it, um, but uh, um, there is a point, and it's hard to describe when, that I stop trying to fit manually sort of um, express it, then I go to that surgical incision with them. And and that's the the technique that um,
1: that I use to try and manipulate them is uh, you know the 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 comes from my basically very afraid nature to um, uh, cause tissue trauma, but I, I accept that there's you know there's probably ninety nine point nine percent of the tissue trauma has already been caused by the thing sitting there for a period of time, and as you say, the important thing is to do whatever you can. Uh, with minimal trauma to get it out.
0: Yeah, and uh, 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 it's something I haven't really thought about doing the rolling in technique, so I have to try that the next few I get in there, um, Mark, and see if I can be more gentle with my um, guinea pig techniques. <laughs> um, so I think the next thing we need to sort of chat about is, yeah, yeah we, we, we've spoken about, we've got the common urolifts. The other common one is those bladder stones and the classic one, I had a classic one today with a huge um, bladder stone, and um, the good news and the bad news with that is, what, um, the bad news is um, we cannot, we don't have a a, a a dissolution diet to put guinea pigs on, and so we can't put them on a special diet to dissolve those stones. Um, so when we have a, a decent um, stone or stones in in the bladder, we have to get in there and, and remove them. Um, I don't think there's too too many other options with them um, if it's just a sludgy sandy sort of um, situation in a particular guinea pig and we don't, don't have a you know big macroscopic stone or stones then I'd be trying to just back flush catheterize and back f- and flush out that bladder and 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 do the other treatment that we'll, we'll talk about shortly as far as trying to help prevent um um the secondary infections that we almost certainly already have in there um and, and put it on analgesics um is um we've got to get in there and remove them. So the, the good news with that is it's doing a cystotomy. Um and guess what? It's pretty similar to what we do in any other species. We we do a midline incision there and we expose and exteriorise that bladder Um, I put stay sutures there and then I get in there and um, um, remove the stones, flush it out um, and um, suture it up like you would with any other cystotomy for a bladder stone removal in, in our other common Um, Species. Um, The thing that really amazes me with most of these ones, if not all of the the cystotomies I've done in in guinea pigs, is that that bladder is so traumatised, it's so thickened, Um, and when you're doing your clinical exam on those um, guinea pigs that have had chronic urinary tract issues, I can tell straight away this this guinea pig's had a problem for a fair period of time because that bladder is so thickened with them. and, um, and I expect you'd probably say the similar thing, Mark. It's just amazing how sore and how painful and how thickened and, and chronically inflamed these bladders are. Have you got any comments or tips about your your technique about getting these stones out of the bladder? And don't tell me you roll them out.
1: Um, <laughs> I think the, the, the first thing that I would say is that um, of all the... Uh, Surgeries in the abdomen of guinea pigs, this is the one that we seem to find that they cope the best with, um, that uh, if we've got to perform a laparotomy for any other reason, um, then our, the, we often find the guinea pig is more compromised um, and the procedure is more likely to um, further compromise the animal. They, they, these are actually quite pleasant surgeries to do because um, they tend to go really, really well. And and I would just re-emphasise what you said. It it is actually genuinely surprising how thick the bladder walls become. They 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 often um, uh, you know the radius of the bladder they'll they'll comprise more than two thirds of the radius of the bladder. The um, cavity in the middle is is barely enough to hold any urine, let alone stones. Um, but they uh, um, they really become quite inflamed Um, the other difficult thing I suppose once you have a bladder wall that's um, so uh, seriously inflamed um, is making sure that you've got appropriate closure once you have done the flush Um, and and I'll bet you've got a couple of tips for that too Brendan
0: (laughs) have I? you can tell our podcast is very very unscripted isn't it? Um, No, I just flush flush. I mean, ideally, um, and there can be a little bit of a challenge to catheterize some of these. So, like a cystotomy in any species, you should ideally have a catheter in there, but some of them I don't, um, because I stuff around, mess around trying to get a catheter into it um, or catheterize it and I can't and I just think I've got to get that stone out let's just do the surgery. So some of them don't have a catheter in there when I'm, when I'm doing that cystotomy which is probably a, a no-no but I just want to get that stone or stones out and flush that bladder. Um, so well the technique's no different I think than if I was doing a dog or a cat I'd pack off the abdomen as best I can um, to try and stop any contamination and um, scoop out all all those stones um keep them for the client they love to sit them on their mantelpiece that huge stone that they've got with with the um ashes of Fido um and and their other stuffed animals that they've got at home and that's the sort of clients I have I don't know about you Mark (laughs) that's what my clients like um and then I um well um what was your question closure and layers and that um i just do a standard closure like i do in a dog or a cat um i test it um by um, then, inject in some um, sterile saline um, into the actual bladder um, to make sure it's um, not leaking, um, and um, that's basically it. And I, I agree with you as far as the surgery goes, in that guinea pigs tend to be a bit precious about the major abdominal surgeries, as in um, fragile um, that they. Like to die after major surgeries so. But this is one surgery that uh, yeah, I, I agree totally with you that they seem to cope quite well with it. Um, even though you might be doing mul- multiple surgeries, um, similar with one particular guinea pig because of the recurrence rate with these. Um, so no, nothing, nothing. Um, I don't know whether um, that was a loaded question you have, but um, that that's the way I do it. Is there some tips you can? you can enlighten me on about how, how you go about your closure and that, um, and, and your flushing? Well, I think the only thing I would, um, I would comment
1: on is that, uh, um, you know, I, I probably am more inclined to use single interrupted sutures rather than a continuous pattern. Um, I do exactly the same as you. Hopefully, uh, you know, I, I'm not able to get a catheter into every single one, but if I can inflate and test the bladder with a, a Urethral catheter, that's ideal. Um, I do take, uh, I do make attempts to, and they're probably pretty clumsy like most of my attempts, but I make attempts to place the sutures so that there's, uh, you know, even with the thickened wall, to make sure there's none of the suture inside the bladder. Now, that's much easier to say than to be confident of doing. But I think as infection is one of the contributing factors to these, I think that if there is excess suture material within the bladder, um, once the whole thing's closed up, I think you run a real chance of it forming a ongoing source of problem.
0: That's exactly what I would um I would agree with all of that, yeah. I I and I use simple interrupted as well and I I often use simple interrupted in in many particular types of surgical repairs um where I suppose at universities you're still taught and I was many years ago too that you know if, if you trust your sutures well enough um, you should be able to go with a continuous um, layer suture with a lot of things but um, I still to this day still use a lot of simple interrupted with, with, with a lot of my um, surgeries and it's just what I've always done but I always try yeah definitely not, not have any of the suture um, sitting inside the bladder there so um, so we don't have a little nidus there for, for potential um, recurrence or, or continuation of infection there, so we should talk about what we then do as far as um, um, post-op care with them, and then the big question um, um, that we'll finish off with: you know, can we prevent it? And what what, what thoughts have we got on the pathogenesis of, of this particular disease? And and my keys for 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 getting these animals home and and, and the treatment um, once you've removed those those. Um, those stones and you've flushed out the urinary tract is, um, and and all of these I'd be doing, um, doing routine bloods on them as well as part of the whole process to make sure, seeing how those kidneys are holding up and looking for other concurrent diseases as well. Um, So it's two main things that it's, well it's three things I suppose, one is analgesia um, in that people often forget that just because it's an unusual pet or a guinea pig or a snake or whatever that, 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 that we don't need to give it pain relief. We certainly do, as Mark and I rabbit on about or guinea pig on about all the time Um, so I'd be placing these ones on assuming things were okay with um with with renal function and we hydrated it okay Um, would be it would be on meloxicam um, post-operatively and the dose I use for guinea pigs is is fairly high Um, bare minimum one milligram per kilo with them it's often quite Higher than that, um, but only once a day. Um, and for one, that's been a bit of a struggle and a really difficult case. It would also be going on some opiates as well. Um, so that's where using those pre meds like like methadone or whatever helps as well. But it may even be going home with with little doses of of of, of, a, of an opiate drug that the client can then give to their guinea um, pig as well, and potentially something like tramadol as well, um, hoping that that might have a bit of an effect there. So I don't. Think Think we can underestimate the um, importance of analgesia with them um, and the other obvious one is antibiosis so and ideally choosing an antibiotic based on our culture and sensitivity which we've got with them not all clients will go with it or we might do a culture um, and it's contaminated or, or they don't manage to grow much in there so we're left with sort of guesstimating what um, what antibiotic we, we we might be um, needing to use even though we're you know, we're told to be very careful about antimicrobial resistance and only using antibiotics when we need to. Um, we certainly need to use antibiotics in these cases virtually universally, I think, because they do have a, an infection going on there. So we end up, uh, well, personally, in, in the um, patients I see, um, both the ones that we culture and don't culture, we end up um, dispensing or, um, a fair amount of enrofloxacin to them um, and potentially the trimethoprim sulphur drugs work where sometimes the um sulfur um where, where the enrofloxacin doesn't, um and some of them are also placed on other other antibiotics that um to give a slightly broader or a different a different um attack on the bugs and that's sometimes things like metronidazole as well. Um what what have you found works or, or is indicated in the ones that you see, Mark?
1: Well, the vast majority of the ones that we have cultured end up being E. coli organisms and uh and we've we definitely uh they seem to be they seem to have great sensitivity patterns. There's uh not a huge amount of resistance um that we see. So we're generally um, as you said, starting with um maybe uh, trimethoprim sulphur and uh and um then looking at the fluoroquinolones if uh if that's uh if that's not suitable. But TMNPS seems to be our our first cab off the rank in most instances.
0: And analgesia, what's your sort of standard uh, post-op analgesia <laughs> patient?
1: It's very similar to yours and uh, we do depend very heavily on um, relatively high doses of meloxicam and uh, and we have, um, you know, when we first started using meloxicam, we were using doses that were comparable to what we would use in dogs and cats but we've, um, as more information has become available, we have up the dose uh, uh, considerably and as long as we have those renal numbers, we're happy to go to the, you know, one milligram per kilogram sort of starting point. Um, We uh, have been experimenting with tramadol. We've been using, uh, where we felt those ones that have had a significant amount of uh, um, trauma or might be uh, more severely uncomfortable, Um, we've used uh, some buprenorphine where we deliver it to the mouth, and we're um, assuming that we get um, uh, transmucosal absorption. Obviously, uh, buprenorphine that was swallowed would uh, uh, be lost due to first-pass metabolism, um, but we definitely, if we um, dribble a small dose into the buccal cavity, um, then we are likely to get that transmucosal absorption and get the effect that way. And um, and we certainly feel like we... Uh, you know the clinical results seem to find that to be a a successful method of treatment. The other thing I'd say about opiates is that a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the uh, students that come to us are very worried about um, gut stasis that's generated by opiate medication, particularly in our guinea pigs and rabbits. Um, but my experience has been that um, that it's almost like the um, if they're painful the effects on the gut uh, are not nearly as pronounced so if we use those medications in animals that are dealing with painful episodes um, gut function actually improves when we use appropriate opiate medication
0: Yeah I agree completely I, th- I think the pain is sort of the overwhelming um, aspect we have to look at here and I also think prob- maybe, not probably, maybe the the, the we worry, yeah we worry about opiates causing um, slowing down of gut function in, in other species but these species that we're talking about like the hindgut fermenters etc that um, that maybe it, it doesn't apply at all you know I don't think there's a lot of hard evidence out there showing that that, that, it, that it does slow down the gut um, um, in the normal animal um, I might be wrong I haven't done a literature search on it and I'm wrong very often um, but um, I I feel them full of pain relief I feel them full of pain relief Um, so the next thing that happens is I find with these particular ones um, a lot of them is uh, they get better Um, they get better and um, we put them on like any animal with a urinary tract infection, we put them on prolonged um, um, antibiotic course. We don't just put them on five days worth of it. We'd be putting them on a minimum of two weeks plus um, and ditto for the pain relief as, as well. And um, um, they improve. But the bad news is um, I have, uh, and, and I'm sure you've had the same too, Mark, um, I've had some guinea pigs where they have a horrible, um, huge um, urolith um, bladder stones and or sludge, um, we flush it out um, we remove the stone and it never comes back ever again um, for that particular individual. The next one that comes in, um, we do the same process with that animal um, and it comes back again within several weeks or, or a couple of months or so. And the bad news is and and, and I tell that to every single client who, who brings in a uh, guinea pig with, with Uralis um, of any kind that we just don't know the process of how these are formed and ha- and certainly how to prevent them um so it's a lot of guesswork i think um the only association i've found not prevention wise but but um well not not long term prevention wise is that i've found a high um correlation between male guinea pigs um with with um muralists and um and male guinea pigs that have been fed um um, salt licks or mineral blocks um, so I'd like your opinion on that um, um, because it's the first thing I ask the clients these days if I have a boy come in that um, that has these stones um, what's the diet that you've had your guinea pig on and it's amazing how many of them have been on these weird salt licks or mineral blocks and, and I recommend zero salt licks or mineral blocks to, to guinea pigs and rabbits and all these small small mammals
1: I, and i once again we sound like we're patting each other on the back all the time but um, i agree entirely I, it, it's definitely um the case they, we, we it's a topic for a future podcast i think the things that are sold in pet stores that uh uh are supposedly going to enhance the life of the pet that um that actually make things worse and uh and I do see a correlation between the presence of those salt licks and uh and problems with uh as you say, the male guinea pigs in particular. Um, is there... Uh, the difficulty that I struggle with, I suppose, is that um, we, because we don't understand, you know, there is that complete um, unpredictable nature. Some of them you'll do and you cure them forever and other ones. Um, it's really scary how quickly a stone can form. You would think that it's going to take some months and yet three or four weeks down the track they've got whopping great golf ball. Size thing in their bladder. Um, what? Why? The other thing I suppose is that that makes us look at the things that might, you know, uh, outside of uh, um, dietary management and those sorts of things that uh, might influence the the recurrence rate. Is there anything that you've had an idea that might uh, change the process?
0: I think it's just getting back to that, you know, the basic husbandry um, aspects, um, looking at what is the diet of this particular animal um, um. Before or when it developed the bladder stones, is it on a weird and wonderful diet? And our, you know, we might spend a, another podcast on talking about rabbits and guinea pig diets. Um, but if they're on weird and wonderful supplements, um, if they're on the the, the muesli mixes, um, which I, you know, we generally don't like at all, um, those sort of um, vitamin mineral supplements, um, and um, to try and help. Prevent it. The only other thing I tend to do is I I is um trying to encourage them to, to to drink more those yes. animals. So a bit like any of the renal issue animals. So encouraging those guinea pigs um to drink more by doing a couple of simple things. One having um um one or more extra um water um access points. You know having a bowl as well as a sipper, for instance. Um, even consider excuse me, considering flavouring the water um, and that can be as simple as adding something like Cranberry juice or any other slightly flavoured um, um, ju- sweet juices with the apple juice. Some of them like pear juice, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm much less worried about them, uh, you know, eating or drinking a bit more um, sugar than than. And and we should talk about diabetic guinea pigs at some stage because I've got a couple of interesting um, theories on diabetes in guinea pigs. Um, we had one last week. Um, is um. Yeah, I'm much more worried about um, um, that, that water intake and flushing those kidneys and that bladder through um, as a preventative measure, um, because we're really grasping at straws as far as trying to help prevent it, with, because we just don't know the whole process. Um, and so some people put them on try, try try to put them on sort of low calcium diets um, and look through the whole list of veggies that that particular animal has been fed, and 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 you can quite easily look up. Um, on the internet um, um, lists of vegetables on which are high and low and medium um, calcium levels but I'm a bit sceptical about whether or not that works um, because I'll probably just adjust their metabolism and their absorption rates um, through the gut etc I think mm. Um regardless of whether you're feeding them high or low calcium so unless they're on a really weird diet um, I think it's tricky all I try and do is encourage them to drink more and look which is what you mentioned at the very start of this podcast look for underlying health issues is it an older guinea pig is it immunocompromised is it an older guinea pig and it's arthritic and I see a fair number of old guinea pigs that have osteoarthritis so they're stiff and sore so they don't sit properly to urinate or it hurts to urinate because they're stiff and sore and they don't want to squat so they hold it in longer so it contributes to the urinary issues. Um, What thoughts have you got on the sort of preventative aspects or or looking for clues about how how to prevent it in the first place but also prevent it once you've removed the stones?
1: Well, I I think increasingly as we've moved from focusing on the immediate problem to trying to look for those predisposing factors, we've definitely identified an increasing number of guinea pigs that do have um, osteoarthritis or other complicating um, disease, particularly I think you highlighted it just then. I think uh, um, that guinea pigs, a little bit um, uh, reminiscent of cats, adopt a particular position to um, spray that urine away from their body. And as they get older and uh, develop some spinal arthritis or um, changes to the hips, or even if they've got problems with pododermatitis, then they won't adopt that position. They will hold on to the urine for, you know, an extra hour or two before they they absolutely have to go. And that urine sitting there for that time is much more likely to precipitate out and start to cause problems, much more likely to get uh, infections which change the pH and um, and and lead to uh, uh, the uh, calcium compounds precipitating out as a stone. So I think um, focusing on those things and looking for those things is really important. There's one other thing that uh, um, I probably would quickly mention, and that's uh, um, vitamins, vitamin C supplementation. Um, that. Um, We're very, very keen. We think a lot of our guinea pigs are are suffering from uh, low levels of um, vitamin C. They can't make their own, so we're often um, supplementing them. Um, But I think that one of the things about vitamin C in excess of requirements um, is that it uh, does have a, a, a potentiating effect on forming those crystals and so as Brendan said before just carefully examining the history um, often people who love these animals will get online and find this information and then may go overboard um, and it's good just to draw those supplements and uh, additional treatments either into line or take them away completely I think
0: yes so we, we said at the start of this podcast we'd probably only try and go for about 40 minutes, 35 minutes, and I think we're over 50 minutes <laughs> at the moment because we're rambling on, so we better better wrap it up. But I, I think the summary for, for these myriad um, tract issues in guinea pigs is, is two two key points. One is um, don't panic and go back to your basics and, and think about the things that are similar that happen um, um with, with urinary issues, infections and stones, etc., that you'd see in, a, in in the other species you've commonly seen. So don't panic and go back to your basics. And the second one is panic and think about the bad things that, that may happen, that it may recur, and that you have guinea pig-specific things um, that you do need to address. Um, and that's been a bit facetious about it, but um, just being, just thinking, looking up your resources, and, and thinking what's different um, with dealing with this, and that's that's the concepts of um, that we don't know um, how the whole process occurs with them, um, the difficulty of removing them, um, especially. Um, um, with those ones that keep coming back and that bladder gets thicker and thicker and I've had a few where I've gone in again and again because the clients want to keep going uh, um, with, with, with attacking it again um, the the aspects look making sure you um, don't cone down too much on your radiograph and, and those other little tips um, that, that, that it's, are different um, than dealing um, if you're just looking at a dog or a cat with urinary tract issues um, but they're a challenge for them and I, i'm sure somebody's going to come along one day and, and solve the whole mystery and, and and produce a guinea pig um, um stone dissolution diet that we'll all have on our shelves um maybe not but um it would be good if somebody does that it'll be a certainly it won't be me it's going to be somebody who's smart um that does it and not me <laughs> so any final comments mark and then we better um finish and um we both need to um crash and go to bed, I think, after a big long week. Um, I'm up again tomorrow to work. Are you working? I am tomorrow? indeed. We've got an early start, a couple of good procedures to do. We've got a snake to anaesthetise. Ah, good. So, any final comments before we uh, finish the podcast? Uh, I just
1: would echo what you've said. Start from first principles and uh, and don't be afraid and make sure you communicate well with the client that uh, you could be dealing with something that is recurrent. But I'd, I do find that... Um, uh, the clients that come to us with this are highly motivated and they are desperately keen for you to give the guinea pig the best possible chance. So um, working your way through from first principles will do that. Give the pig the best chance.
0: Good comments. Yeah. So the final um, final thing I'd like to say is for those of you who have found us on iTunes or some of the other podcast listings, um, please tell your friends your vet friends your nurse friends or vet student friends because we need more friends and um, we can never have enough friends so um, subscribe to our podcast um, we we um, we we want you to send in questions as well um and um or topics for us to discuss and it can be anything in in veterinary medicine um or the veterinary lifestyle it doesn't have to be exotic or unusual pets even though a lot of the um topics we will be covering will be unusual pets because that's what we do every day all day um so send in some um questions to us, say a shout out to us, Um, get onto that um, website that's linked to iTunes if you joined up on iTunes and look at our little blog website where we'll put um, some page, some podcast notes on there and um, say hello to us, send us an email, Um, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, we will um, hopefully have a slightly less chaotic week next week and um, we'll see you next week. Bye.